Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, let's pray before we get started. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be among us now as we study your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us to what you want us to use it for in our lives. We know that it is valuable and it is necessary for us to, to win in this battle, Lord. We thank you for the victory because of your death and resurrection, Lord Jesus. It is because of that that we follow you and we know that your word is true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 5 is the chapter that we will be in today. John chapter 5, if you'd like to follow along. And uh, first, last week I had a different translation of the Bible on screen, so I do apologize, apologize about that. Uh, I think all translations are good, and I study out of all of them, so I don't have any particular favorite one. But I know it can be distracting when I'm reading from a different translation we have up there. So I think I've fixed that today. Um, if you would like to follow along, John chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward... Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holiday, holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected they said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well. So stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Have you ever felt invalid? Invalid. As if you didn't exist. As if you didn't matter. Have you felt unseen, unheard, and uncared about? After 38 years, I'm sure that's how the man at the pool of Bethesda felt. Day after day, year after year, he lay under the porch hoping and wishing that somehow his lame body could make it to the pool before the rest of the crowd so that he could be healed. I'm sure you can imagine that at some point he gave up on the hope that his life would ever be any different. This man 
was a casualty of war. The war is actually a war that has affected us all. It is the war of Genesis chapter 3 in which God and Satan are battling for the souls of man. Satan's first attack was successful and every single human being is hit with the shrapnel of sin. This man at the pool of Bethesda has seemingly become paralyzed because of sin. I say that because commentators link the detail of him having been invalid for 38 years. And they link that to the Israelites wandering in the desert. The Israelites. They were prisoners of war for 400 years. God miraculously rescues them from slavery and is leading them to the land He promised their forefathers that He would give to their descendants. And despite their whining and complaining, God brought them to the border of their promised land. Right up to the border. All they had to do was cross over and possess it. But here's where it blew up. They sent 12 men to check out the land. Numbers chapter 13, verse 18. Moses said, See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees... Do your best to bring back some samples of crops that you see. Well, all 12 sets of eyes on those men saw the same thing. Good land, fertile soil, wonderful fruit, a land flowing with milk and honey. And yeah, there were the giants the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites. Whew! I don't think we can do that, they say. Ten of the spies trusted their eyes. They trusted in what they saw as obstacles instead of trusting in God to overcome the obstacles and keep His word. Two of them trusted their faith, Caleb and Joshua. I'll save their story for another sermon. But the message is, mistrust leads to disobedience, self-reliance, and rebellion, which will not be left unpunished by God. In the case of the Israelites, they were sentenced to 40 years in the wilderness. One year for each of the 40 days the spies explored the promised land. Numbers 14.34 says, Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. But the number we're dealing with here with the fella at the pool, is 38. The invalid, the invalid man, 
laid next to that pool. So many years, 38 years. It's interesting that Deuteronomy chapter 2 records that 38 years passed from the time we first left Kadesh Barnea until we finally crossed the Zered Brook. By then, all the men old enough to fight in the battle had died in the wilderness. When all the men of fighting age had died, the Lord said to me, Today you will cross the border and enter the land. It took 38 years for all of the males 20 years and older to die. When the last of the fighting men had died, the Lord told the community of Israelites to get up and cross the valley. It took another two years for them to make the journey to stand again at the edge of the promised land. So this man <coughs> had been an invalid for 38 years. And for the record, I don't like the word invalid. It's a label, but that's what the Scripture says, so we'll go with it. The text <coughs> doesn't tell us for sure how this man lost his ability to move his legs or why he became that way, but if we consider the connection to Israel's 38 years of discipline, perhaps this man had a moment in life when he chose to trust in himself instead of trusting in the Lord. Maybe he decided to lean on his own understanding and refused to acknowledge God. And now, after 38 years, he is at the pool of Bethesda. That seems about how long it takes for a man's fight to die inside. Perhaps the symbolism is that Jesus showed up at the pool when this man had finally given up any self-reliance that he had. Given up hope of ever making it to that magical pool. And sometimes God waits until we have exhausted ourselves trying to do it our way. And as we lay there, Jesus comes in that moment and asks us if we want to be well. At this pool of Bethesda, a great number of people used to lie. Casualties of war in a fallen and broken world. John chapter 5, verse 2. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Notice that the text mentions the pool of Bethesda was near the sheep gate. Sheep gate. Now the old city of Jerusalem had walls and to get into town you had to go through one of the gates. There were several gates. A few of them had specific purposes. John Davis says, to those who lived by the rules of that society, the sheep gate was the place where the creatures to be sacrificed were herded in the place of no return for the sacrificial lambs and sheep. The sheep gate was a place where the people who society didn't want were abandoned to. They put the incurable, 
the paralyzed and the lame at the pool near the sheep gate, right on the edge of the city where only the country folk herding livestock passed by, out of sight of respectable citizens and at the heart of the city going about their daily business unhindered. The sheep gate was the place of no return for the abandoned people of Jerusalem. Anyone ever heard of the word triage? Triage. The word triage is derived from the French word tier. Its meaning is to sort, to sort out. The term was first applied to sorting food, but in World War I, the French began to use it as a term when sorting casualties of war. The process of sorting men wounded in battle was actually practiced long before by surgeon, Sir, surgeon Dominique Jean Leray during the early 1800s in Napoleon's Imperial Guard. In 1846, British naval surgeon John Wilson advised his teams to classify the men into three levels. Minimally wounded, seriously wounded but treatable, and mortally wounded. He did this so that he could provide immediate care for those whose treatment would likely be successful, and they ignored those who would most likely die with or without treatment. The people lying at the pool of Bethesda would have been considered third-tier casualties, most likely to perish, even with treatment. So leave them there to perish. Unable to count on compassion or kindness from others, these disabled persons were desperate for mercy, which is why they made their way to the pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy. I think that's why it's significant that Jesus shows up to this pool next to the sheep gate. According to the life expectancy in Jewish culture at that time, for a paralytic, this guy was basically on his deathbed. Historians say that most paralyzed folks back then didn't live past the age of 30. And Jesus bends and asks the paralyzed man, do you want to get well? Now, what do you think about the guy's answer? How do you feel about how he answered? He said, I don't have anyone to help me. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he can even conceive what it means to be well anymore. His mindset is, how can I be well if I don't have anyone? I need someone to help me. I need someone. Now, if that's the case, then he would be correct in thinking that. But does he know the truth of Psalm chapter 124, verse 8? Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He 
did in fact need someone. Jesus came to show mercy to this man and offer him the help he so desperately needed. This man didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't call on the name of Jesus. But Jesus had mercy on him and told him to get up and pick up your mat and walk. Just like when God told the Israelites to get up and walk through the desert, the time had come for this fella to walk towards the future that God had planned for him. God told him to carry his mat. That's probably when the serious battle started. He would have to go through some serious things before he stepped into his real healing, the healing of his soul. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Now let me direct you to another gate in the city of Jerusalem. It's called the Golden Gate. And it sounds nice, doesn't it? Everything looks good there. There's no sick people, no animals going through it. It's pleasing to the eye. Instead of walking through the Golden Gate, though, Jesus decided to come in the back way. He intentionally went to the sheep gate where the sacrificial animals were being led in. Isaiah 53 calls Jesus the lamb who was led to the slaughter. Fitting, isn't it? While Jesus came to confront and defeat real sin, the Jewish leaders were hung up on a man who was carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Never mind that he had been paralyzed for 38 years and now miraculously can walk. They interrogated the man. Again, completely disregarding the man's healing and focusing instead on who in the world the sinner was that told him to carry his mat. That's hard to understand. That is so far out of our desire to love others that it's hard to comprehend that. At some point, Jesus found the guy and he told him, hey, you are well again. Stop sinning or something else may worse or something else worse may happen. And now Jesus isn't just concerned about our physical being, he wants it to be well with our souls. Now that the man is confronted by Jesus, he has a choice to make. Jesus has healed him physically. Will he repent and become a new man? Or will he make the same mistakes he had earlier in life? This time the consequence is probably won't be an invalid existence laying by the pool for 38 years. It could be much worse, anguishing in the lake of fire for eternity. In Deuteronomy, 
after the Israelites make the journey through the desert, God tells them, if you obey all the decrees and commands I have given you today, all will be well with you. If you obey, all will be well. Perhaps Jesus is communicating the same idea to this fellow. Hey, you've seen what I have done. I've shown you these things for a purpose. Now acknowledge me, trust my word, and obey it so that it may go well with you. The ending of this story has always puzzled me. It has seemed to me that the guy goes and rats out Jesus to the Jewish leaders, but after studying deeper into the story, I wonder if this guy's moment to speak the name of Jesus, if this is the time when he decides to stand up. Is he stepping up to testify that Jesus is his healer? Is he confessing his trust and trust and belief in the one who walked through the sheep gate to trade places with him? The one who bore his sickness and carried his pain? Who was pierced for his rebellion and punished for his sins so that he could be made fully well? Is this his stand-up moment? And what did he do next? Did he go to help others at the pool? <clears throat> did he tell them at the pool that the pool's not where the healing's at? The pool offered an invalid healing. Did he tell the others there <clears throat> where the true hope was? Did he go back to where he lay for so many years to share the hope? Did he follow Jesus by intentionally seeking out people who were struggling? Folks, Jesus does not operate according to the British naval surgeon's triage process. In 1950, during the Korean War, MASH units began to be utilized. Mobile Army Surgical Hospitals. They were designed to be mobile, flexible, and forward deployed. They were military hospitals that provided care for the wounded near the front line of the battlefield. As disciples, disciples of Jesus, we need to be the spiritual MASH unit. We need to be mobile, flexible, forward deployed as we engage the wounded on the front line of the battlefield. It's tempting to want to hang out at the Golden Gate where everyone looks fine and make small talk about the superficial areas of life, but we need to have the courage to go to the Sheep Gate where the hidden issues are festering and hope is dying. Some people may not think it's possible to ever be well again. All they know is that they need help, but they don't know where to find it. But we know who the Helper is. We know the One who has the power to enable them to rise when He speaks to them. As disciples, let's introduce them to Jesus who doesn't see them as invalid but validates their worth, their identity, and their salvation 
for eternity. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, understand this, that God loves you. And He loves your neighbor. And He wants you and your neighbor to put your faith in Him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. Pray with me. Lord, we are so thankful that you consider each one of us, every person, as valid. Lord, and that you care for us so deeply that you've given your life for our eternal salvation. Lord, we don't understand your love, but we see pictures of it, pictures of how far you would go to save us pictures of 